2: And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places.
1: What was it like dealing with the boss?
0: Man, the the boss was tough. There's no doubt about it. He was tough. I can tell you for sure, whenever he came walking around Old Yankee Stadium, there was a lot of people, you know, ducking and diving and jumping (laughs) to places and trying to hide from him.
1: Game time with Boomer Esiason. This week's guest is a five-time World Series champion and a member of the Yankees' core four, MLB's all-time postseason wins leader, Andy (laughs) Pettit. Presented by GEICO. Today's guest made it from the Bayou to the Bronx, where he won five World Series rings and finished his career as the first player to pitch more than 15 major league seasons without ever having a losing record. It is my pleasure to welcome ace southpaw Andy Pettit to game time. Andy, welcome.
0: Hey Boomer, thank you. It's good to be here, buddy.
1: Yeah, it is great to be here. And I can hear that accent in your voice, that Bayou accent in your voice. And I'm thinking a kid from the Bayou coming to New York, how long did it take you to acclimate yourself when you got to the Yankees?
0: Uh, It was definitely a little bit of an adjustment for sure. Uh, The big city was a little overwhelming. You try to find your little niche. I had my direct route to Yankee Stadium and back home. And and, uh, when I went to the city, I had one way in and one way out that I did basically my whole career. It was just you know, so I tried to keep it as simple as possible, but uh, what, what, a, what a great place, what a blessing it was to be able to play in New York. But it definitely took a little bit for me and my wife to, to make that adjustment just to so many people, uh, you know, born in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and then moving to Texas and coming from a small, small town in Texas and ending up in New York was uh, definitely a little bit of a culture shock at first. How
1: cool was it really to step onto the mound in Yankee Stadium for the first time, realizing that you made it, given the fact that you have Monument Park out there, you have the arches in Yankee Stadium, just the whole history behind it.
0: It was awesome, it really was. I mean, I grew up, I wasn't a huge baseball fan. I was a Chicago Cub fan growing up, you know, because they were always on TV down in Texas and they had day games, so I would come home from school, they'd always be on. But once you got into the Yankee system, And then they start running guys like Yogi Berra and Whitey Ford and Joe DiMaggio and, and Mickey early in my career, all these guys are coming around and seeing the minor league players and your eyes just light up and you're like, man, I want to be on that field. I want to play where they played, you know, just the excitement. Obviously my first game was in old Yankee stadium, which was absolutely the best place ever. And, and just the, the history there and stuff like that. So you know, it's it's hard to put in words how special it is, but obviously just a great achievement uh, to be able to get there because so many people want to wear that pinstripe uniform.
1: You know, we're going to get into the core four in a little bit. I just wanted to ask you a little bit about working with Hoyt Wilhelm and possibly yeah. becoming a knuckleball pitcher and the fact that Jorge <laughs> Posada supposedly told you, no, with the flutter balls, I'm not going to catch you. Stay away from that stuff.
0: Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, Hoyt was my first pitching coach down in Tampa, Florida. I was 19 years old. They sent me to him, and, man, what, a, what an honor to be able to, to work with him down there. He kept it as simple as you could possibly keep it. I mean, I'd be struggling sometimes and ask Hoyt for advice, and he would just literally say, Pet, keep it simple. He goes, as long as you're turning them to the right, you're doing all right. So when they get the first base, as long as they're turning to the right, he said, you're doing good. And that was about all the advice Hoyt would ever, would ever give me, you know. But, uh, hey, I, I threw a knuckleball when the Yankees signed me. And Hoyt, you know, let me throw it in low A uh, there when I was with them because I was able to throw it for strikes and I was able to get a lot of outs with it. And he's like, I'm not going to take that away from you. You, you talk about Boy, Jorge Posada. I was in, in low uh, rookie ball. I got moved up to high rookie ball uh, my first year. And Georgie, they moved him to catcher. And I was throwing him knuckleballs, and the first few I threw him, they went off his shin guard and his foot. And he was like, I'm not catching that. I'm not going to catch you if you're going to throw knuckleballs. You know? <laughs> so anyhow, so when Georgie was behind the plate, he didn't want me to throw my knuckleball. So I had a pretty good one, but the Yankees minor league coordinators, they told me, hey, after you pitch 10 years in the big league, you can break a knuckleball out if you ever make it. But for now, we want you to line a straight changeup. So... They taught me a straight changeup and I had to can the knuckleball.
1: Welcome back to Game Time, everyone, where we are joined by Andy Pettit, who was a member of the Yankees' famed core four along with Jorge Posada, Mariano Rivera, and of course, Derek Jeter. This talented quartet formed the nucleus of a Yankee dynasty that won four World Series in five years and later on added still a fifth fall classic title. And Andy, just to be a part of that group and to be thought of as the core of all those championships has to be something that will be a memory that lasts a lifetime.
0: It is, and it's something very special. I know we all take a lot of pride in that, you know. We, we kind of all came up together, uh, signed real close. Me and Georgie signed the same year. I think Jeet came the year after. Mariano came the year before, I believe. Uh, we kind of intertwined throughout the minor leagues. Me and Georgie and Derek were in Greensboro, North Carolina, and A-ball at one time together, you know, in Triple-A together. Me and Georgie were there. Uh, And so, you know, we were in spring training, obviously, for three years together before we got to the big leagues and stuff like that. So to be able to all get up there and to spend as much time so many years together, it's been a very it was a very special run. It's been a very special relationship.
1: You know, I was thinking about like, you know, back when you guys were in the minors together. Did you ever talk about getting to Yankee Stadium? Did you have the dreams of getting there and talk about how you wanted to bring a championship to New York?
0: You know what? Early on, we really didn't, Um, you know, especially when you're in low A and that's where me and Derek and Mariano were all together. I mean, uh, me and Georgie and Derek were together. I I think at that point you're so just engulfed in there's so many players and there's so many guys that are, you know, in double A and in triple A. And when you're down there, it's like, man, am I ever going to get there? You know? And so you really aren't having those conversations. And then when I got to triple A, Georgie was there I didn't play with Derek or Mariano in AAA. Georgie broke his ankle that year and was out early. And so I don't ever really remember us having those conversations. Georgie was a top prospect. At that time, we knew he might be getting up there also. We knew Derek was a first-round pick and was going to be coming, and Mariano was doing great things. Um, But not in the minor leagues. I don't really remember having a lot of those conversations. It was more about just kind of fighting. I was married. I had a, a child when I was in AAA, you know, our first baby, and it's like, Fighting tooth and nail yourself to just trying to get to the big leagues. Yeah, you know
1: it's interesting that you guys lasted so long together because people don't realize just how hard it is to make it where you came from. Not only yeah. to get there and then stay there together for as long as you did.
0: Yes, I mean you got to be you got to be fortunate, you got to be blessed, and we all were. As far as just health, I mean, you know, just amazing that all of us stayed healthy and were able to play that many years together. And then just free agency, signing, leaving, you know, going. And I left, obviously, I left for three years. The other guys, you know, stuck around their whole career. But it was amazing, you know, how much time we were together. And, of course, able to come back towards the end of my career, finish up my last three years there was was just awesome.
1: No surprise that Derek Jeter is the CEO of the Miami Marlins, is it?
0: (laughs) (laughs) No. I mean, Derek's made that well-known that he wanted to run a baseball team. And that's what he, you know, his aspirations were, his dreams were. And, you know, Derek's very oriented, goal-oriented, and, and that was something that he dreamed about doing and wanted to do. And you knew one way or the other he was going to try to get involved in some organization and own it and try to run the thing.
1: The Dodgers winning the championship legitimate in your eyes?
0: Yeah, I mean, it, it's – 60 games is tough, right? I mean, it's supposed to be a 160-game season, and, and, and so that's short, and it, it, it definitely isn't the same, right? It's just not the same. But everybody was on the same playing field. Mm. Uh, 60 games everybody knew they were going to play for and what they were doing so yes I think it's legitimate I mean everybody had the same rules to play under and you know you had to be fortunate to hopefully not have COVID not to lose many players in certain times during the course of the season the injuries were way up obviously with a lot of teams and stuff like that I know it affected the Yankees mm-hmm. uh, I don't get to watch a whole lot of baseball but of course you know working with the Yankees still and trying to follow them is is kind of what I'll do uh, so they, they were banged up, had a lot of injuries also. But again, you know, no excuses. I mean, uh, the Dodgers have a great team. They have been there for a lot of years in a row. And really and truly, you know, you kind of felt like it was their time. They've, they haven't had that championship over the last four or five years. And they've been there every single year.
1: The one thing that I've always noticed about the Yankees, especially over the last 10 years or so since all you guys have left, is that they just don't have the pitching staff that you
0: guys had. And the one thing that's kind of hurt the Yankees over the years is, is that consistency of having guys healthy. And so the biggest thing is just you know getting the help. So they know they need starting pitching. That's why they went out and gave Garrett Cole the biggest contract in, 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 for a pitcher in baseball history. And so you know they're moving in the right direction for that. We got guys in the organization that we think are gonna do extremely well and are gonna take that next step. We need Severino to get healthy. He's got a he's an electric arm. He's gonna be a great pitcher. Need him to stay healthy for us and that'll be a big lift for us. And hopefully they can sign back some of these guys that are gonna be free agents and kind of keep a, a good rotation going. You know what I love, Andy? You keep
1: using the word we when you talk about the Yankees. Once Yankee, (laughs) always Yankee, even when you leave to go to Houston. Although the Yankees retired Andy Pettit's number 46, and he has a plaque in Monument Park, teammates Derek Jeter, Bernie Williams, Paul O'Neill, and even Danny Tartable achieved something that the slender Southpaw never did. They all appeared on Seinfeld. How come you never appeared on Seinfeld?
0: I'm not much on acting. I, don't, I,
1: don't
0: <laughs> uh, I think I'm, you know, I'm more, you know, laid back, low key. I just, uh, I, I, I'd rather go home and uh, be with my wife and kids. And, and I, I get uncomfortable in large crowds or in settings or in front of, Definitely in front of a TV camera. <laughs>
1: <laughs> well, you know, I'll tell you one thing. Those guys did a great job, and that show was great. But, it, you know, it really was poking fun at George Steinbrenner and the way that he was. It came off as a pompous fool in that TV show. What was it like dealing with the boss?
0: Man, the, the boss was tough. There's no doubt about it. He was tough. For me, personally, he, he he was great. I mean, he expects a lot out of you. I mean, he he's he's wanting excellence, that's for sure. And if he doesn't get it, he's going to let you know, you know. But, hey, there were some years where I went through some, some hard years, and the boss was very, very supportive of me. Me and him had a wonderful relationship. He was great to me, even though there was times where, you know, I knew that there was, you know, rumors out there that he was going to trade me because, uh, you know, maybe out early in the year I wasn't performing like he expected me to perform and stuff like that. Thank the Lord he never traded me away, and I stuck around for as long as I did. But uh, he was awesome. I, I have no complaints about Mr. Steinbrenner, the way he handled me personally. He was wonderful to me. But there's no doubt about it. He was definitely difficult at some times to, to deal with. And, and I can tell you for sure, whenever he came walking around old Yankee Stadium, there was a lot of people, you know, ducking and diving and jumping <laughs> to places and trying to hide from yeah. him Sure.
1: Well I'm glad you had a good relationship with him which brings me to your relationship with the GM Brian Cashman. Why is he so successful at what he does? First
0: and foremost I know he'll say this he's got a lot of smart people around him and and he listens you know to the people that he's hired around him but he's very consistent and Brian's honest. Uh, I mean you say that I mean if me and Cash if we ever had a clash or whatever even when I played there was times where we didn't see eye to eye and We, you know, we might get in a little argument or words back and forth, but we're grown men and sometimes that's going to happen and it's over. He doesn't hold that against you. I mean, he's very, you know, he's very forthcoming. I mean, he's going to tell you how he feels and he expects you to tell him how, you know, you feel. I think that's that's great. If you're in the position he's in, I think that's great to have thick skin and, and to be able to handle, you know, people saying stuff back and forth to each other.
1: You know, we just talked about two personalities, George Steinbrenner, Brian Cashman. And then in the middle of all that is your manager, Joe Torre. And when they hired Joe Torrey, I don't know if you remember seeing this in the back pages in New York. They 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 coined him Clueless Joe. And all Clueless Joe did was win championships for the New York Yankees. How about your relationship with him?
0: Joe was like another father uh, to me. Um, it, it went beyond the baseball field. Um, he looked at us not only as baseball players but as human beings and almost as, I think, almost as his kids. If there was ever an issue, his, his door was open, and we knew, I knew that I could go in there and talk to him to share things with him. If I, you know, had a family issue, I, I mean, he would just, he was just, he was wonderful. He was a player's manager, and you love that as a player. I mean, I'm sure you've been around coaches plenty, and you love that as a coach, just going kind to, of, hey, how you doing? You know, come to the office, let's talk. Having a bad day, this or that. I mean, totally understands. And Joe's always said it. He hit 180 in the big leagues or 200, and he's hit 360. So he knows this game is how hard it can be and how sometimes it seems like you're just kind of going through the motions and it comes real easy. And so he never forgot that. And and I think that's what most players love about him.
1: And he was the right guy for the right team at the right yeah. time. In his final career start in 2013, the 41-year-old Andy Pettit threw his first complete game in more than seven years. He yielded only five hits to his hometown Astros while fanning five and walking two. It was Pettit's 438th career start in pinstripes, tying Whitey Ford's franchise record. What a record to uh, tie and what a player to tie it with, uh, Andy. And I was just wondering how hard it was for you to leave New York and go to Houston in the first place.
0: It was hard. I I mean, just all the memories in New York, everything that we had accomplished there, um, the friendships, the relationships with just around everyone around the ballpark, uh, the front office people just, you know, I had been there since I was 19 years old, you know, throughout, you know, throughout my career and not only all those people, but then the relationships with the guys that you had mentioned. I mean, the relationships obviously I had with Derek and, Georgie and Mariano because i had been there the whole time with them and then just a bunch of other great teammates that I, you know had relationships with. So it was a very very difficult uh, decision to make.
1: It's interesting because I often say this that you know we put the most pressure on ourselves as athletes and we always want to be at our best. We always want to be out there. We want to live up to our contracts. We want to live up to our reputation. Andy Pettit has a relatively straightforward approach to life. Whatever I do, I love to win, he says, adding, I don't care if it's tennis or ping pong, I'll kill myself to win it.
0: Yeah, I mean, I'm not real sure, you know, Uh, I guess one of my parents, you know, my dad, you know, he, he played a little football when he was younger, but you know, my dad, always instilled in me just son you got to work hard you know hard work is is the only thing that's going to get you to where you want to be and kind of I just remember that growing up but it's just it's something that I just always remember growing up My parents would tell me things I can't even remember before I started playing tackle football would be playing flag football and they'd say if we lost the game I would start balling in the car which I can't believe I did that but they would just (laughs) tell me I mean anytime I lost I just took it so hard you know and I, I probably can understand that, I realize now, and you wish you could go back and you know think about my days in the big leagues and early in my career, when you have you know a wife and you have young children and when things wouldn't go right, I, all I did was I just wanted to work through them and work harder. And I don't know exactly where that came from. I think it was just instilled in me by God. You know, that's the only thing I can say.
1: I don't necessarily know that people understand just how fast a career goes. I mean, you you went to the highest of heights in your sport with the the most notable team, the most famous team in the world, the New York Yankees, and you were up there for such a long time, and now here you are. You're down in Texas. You go out hunting on your ranch. You go out in the mountains for two weeks at a time. You just told me off the air there was a time where you didn't take a shower for 12 days. I can't even imagine that. I mean, do you realize what you've accomplished in your career and how fast it went?
0: I definitely realize how fast it went. I mean, sometimes it's hard to just – put together exactly you know what you did you know I was watching a World Series game and they flash up there and they you know you see you know most playoff wins and stuff like that and you see your name up there and you're mm-hmm. like yeah. you know man that's you know that's pretty cool obviously you know you had to play for a long time and you had to play for a, you know with a great team and I had great players always always around me instead of thinking about how great I was I don't know why I'm just built this way I guess I just said I, I just think about how great everything was around me, and 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 how fortunate I was to be with the Yankees and and Mr. Steinbrenner as the owner, and then and then as the owner, and them putting great players around me all the time, and and what a great position, and what a blessing I w- it was for me to be able to play for the Astros and the Yankees. See, the three years I was with the Astros, we had great teams and great players. We were able to get to the World Series there, and then of course get there seven times. the Yankees it's just you know when you start saying all that stuff it's kind of like wow but really and truly man once you get home and you know I'm coaching high school baseball and I'm you know doing my stuff doing my thing as far as hunting and stuff like that it it seems like it was forever ago man and now I'm just trying to I got one kid left in school I got a sophomore in high school I've got one kid left I got a grandbaby two-and-a-half-year-old grandbaby now. I mean, my time is being spent doing so many different things, and it's just wonderful.
1: You know, the next time you're in that tent for 12 days, just think back to how great it was when you were right in the middle of the Bronx, in the middle of the madness around here in New York. Our thanks to Andy (laughs) Pettit for joining us today. He's a great guy. And to all of you for watching, I'm Boomer Esiason. I'll see you again right here on Game Time.